to the VIP Show Podcast. This is Jose Aristimuño, bringing you the biggest names in the game of business, entrepreneurship, and life to help you level up, get inspired, and become the most successful you. You already know the VIP Show. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the VIP Show. I'm your host, Jose Aristimuño. Folks, am I excited about my next guest? Less than 30 days in 2023. And I always tell you, 2024 starts today. Don't start uh, December 31st. You don't start January 1st. And it starts today. And look, if you want to make it in life, folks, if you want to make it, I'm telling you, if you want to get that next girl, you want to make money, whatever the heck you want to do in the world, you got to learn how to sell. I'm telling you, you got to learn how to sell. You're selling every single day of your life. You wake up, you're selling to your wife, to your kids, to your, to your future clients. And there's no one better. To talk to to talk to us about this, that my guy Jeremy Miner, uh, he is the founder of an amazing company, Seventh Level. Uh, he's trained over five hundred sixty one thousand people, three series, folks, uh, all across the country and the world. He's the author of the new model of selling, and he's right here with me at the VIP show. Jeremy, what's going on, brother? Now, Jose, do you say that? To- about everybody that comes on your show. I've got the best guest ever. Is that what you say? I'm <laughs> I, I, I say sometimes, but when it comes to selling, okay. you, you're number one. Let me just say that. I, look, I, I do come from politics, right? So, you know, well, I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe my grandma thinks I'm number one, but that, that, that <laughs> that's up to that's up to our clients in the world to decide one day. We'll, well, we'll I've see seen you. Let me just say this. Let me just say this before we get started. I've seen you on in, in on stage. I've seen you in uh, person, right? So, yeah. I, I got a little bit of a say, uh, and I, dude, I had to put up with you for like two, three hours, man. Oh, you know, yeah. it, it was tough, and I wasn't, I wasn't there for the whole conference. I'm not gonna say what conference it was, but I, I wasn't there for the whole conference, and I stayed for your shit for like two hours. I can, it's, it's my show. We can curse. You're too right? kind. Hey, what, uh, what were your thoughts about what I did when I walked out on stage? Do you know what I did there? Yeah, I, look, people, you know, I, some folks, you know. It's funny because I mean I don't know how tall how tall are you? I mean you're not. I'm like, only five eleven, dude. Just just an average dude. Okay, you're an average dude. You're a skinny. You're you skinny dude. You know, like like you know. Five eleven, one seventy nine. But you had folks intimidated on uh, you know people people were kind of like oh don't call on me don't call on me because you would just walk one way and all of a sudden you would just turn and be like hey what do you think about this let's let's do a little simulation so. Uh, yeah. I thought it was good. I love dynamics, man. Yeah. I think that's you got to play with people's energy. You got to it's an example of a, a little bit. Pat, it's an example of a pattern interrupt, right? Yeah. So, what like if you're a speaker, let's say you're in an audience, you go to a lot of events, right? What are uh-huh. you used to speakers doing? They come out on the stage, and hey, it's great, but they're like, "Hey, how's it going, everybody?" You know, jump up and down. Like, I love, yeah. I love Dallas. I love Atlanta or wherever yeah. you're at. Like, it's a yeah. great town, and so. You're, the audience is used to every speaker sounding somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. I did, that is an example of what's called a pattern interrupt, right? Because a lot of times when you do that and you sound like there are speakers, you start to lose the audience. They start looking at their phone. They're like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. They start exiting, right? So how do you get an audience to actually all sit in their seats and not know what's going on. It's kind of like a mm-hmm. mystery. So I'm curious. Yeah. I can't leave. I can't look at Facebook right now. My yeah. phone is down and I'm like, what's going on? So typically, not all keynotes, keynotes, different keynotes, I do different pattern reps, right? You can't, you can't be the same. But for that one, what I did is walked out on the stage. You notice I didn't say a word. And I sat at the front of the stage for about, eh, I think I timed it about 18, 19 seconds. Everybody's like, 
Phones what is down. this guy going to do? Yeah. What's going on? I, I don't understand what's going on. Then I walked down off the stage, right, into the audience. Then I sat there like this again for about another 10 to 15 seconds, looking at like four or five people in a row, and then bring the microphone over there, put it in their face and be like, and then I, you know, hey, uh, you know, in that example, that was a, a, like a real estate conference, right? That yep, you were yep. about, like uh, selling, to, you know, uh, buying homes, you know, flipping homes, sure. like, properties. And so I come out there because they're all wanting to learn how to do that. And I'm like, hey, you're like the fifth person that's called me this week. Just give me an offer and I'll tell you if I'm interested. Yeah. What would you say? And you put the microphone in, they're like, oh, but the, uh, you know, and it's hard because you're being put on the spot, right? Yeah, it's, not, yeah. it's not easy, but it was genius. It was genius, man. Yeah. I saw you like people didn't want to get picked on. That's why people were paying attention. They're like, oh, please don't pick me. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I've done speaking across the country for a long time and 18 seconds of silence in a room of thousands of people. It is not easy to do. And it's not easy to do for the speaker. Yeah. too because there's like a weird awkward silence and people are confused so yeah. i gotta tell you you know that that was a two-day conference there were yeah. i don't know man at least 20 speakers yeah. and i swear i'm not bullshitting you i swear you were one of the few speakers that really stuck to me i'm like who does this guy think he is man he's one this guy big. <laughs> i gotta What's talk going to him. on over here but but thank you for having you know coming on the show man i i appreciate it um You've been selling. You, you've been selling for like seventeen years. Is that is that what it is? Did I, I, I had that? a yeah. I had a seventeen. Almost it was a seven. It's almost eighteen years if you ran up. So let's just say I had an eighteen year uh, sales career. Started in two thousand, retired in early twenty eighteen, and then a year later started uh, seventh level. So yeah. What were you selling? I was in the for those. Yeah, I was in four different industries. Uh, okay. I was in two two business to consumer, and then two B two B. So the first industry I got into. I was a broke, burned out college student, was door to door, home security. You know, basically they give you a script. I was a junior in college. They give you a script, uh, drive you out in a van. And they basically like, you know, kick you out of the van. Like, go make some sales. It'll be easy. We'll pick you up after the dark. Uh, you know, I found out kind of the hard way that I'm going to have to really learn how to do this because it's not easy like they said, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I had a pretty successful career in that, uh, you know, for Anyways, this is a whole nother story. And then after five years, I wanted to change industries because it was it was too easy. That industry is too boring. I was uh -huh, like, I'm capped uh -huh. out. I can't make any more money selling this stuff. And so then I got into like B2B enterprise, uh, selling like debt relief services to okay. mainly, mainly Fortune 1000 companies, but a lot of SMB, you know, that would uh -huh. get into debt. It could be like, they could be on the low end, hundred grand in debt. They could be on the high end, like 90 million in debt, right? Uh -huh, so it just uh -huh. depends. So did that for five years. Then the next industry I got into completely different was mm -hmm. network marketing. Made a oh. ton of money in that space. Oh, uh, interesting. That's yeah, that's you, a big one because it's got so much um so much negative connotation with like the scamming, blah, 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 bullshit. So uh, yeah, it is because of all the well, really because of the way they're taught how to sell and communicate. That's the, that triggers mm. that reaction, right? Mm -hmm. So I came in there and you know, if you if you Google my name, even in that industry, it'll it'll pull up. I, I think I'm in the MLM Hall of Fame and I was only in there for four and a half years. Cause oh wow. You you're probably in a business business for home i i am dot com. I, was the, I was in the top 50 earners of of every year that i was in there and I, that was even the first year no downline no experience just came in and learned how you know i knew how to communicate right mm -hmm. and i then i would teach the leaders how to communicate because in that industry the problems you solve is people want to make more money because they want to have a business right mm -hmm, independence mm -hmm. and they want to have more time with their family whereas all the other network marketers they were just trying to sell the thing like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. this latest, greatest skincare or this latest, greatest thing. And it's like, you sound like everybody else. No, 
everybody's in the market. How many friends, how many people do you know that want to make more money and have more time with their family? Everybody. Like everybody. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, it's like, people are like, how is he doing this? I'm like, well, everybody's a prospect. This is like the easiest thing to sell in the world. I was so confused why 99% failed. I'm like, literally everyone is a prospect. And then after that, because I got bored of that, then my last career, I started selling like high-end uh, investment uh, conferences and like personal development events and stuff. I, I okay. really love that. Those were anywhere from the low end, 15 grand, all the way up to like 50, 100 grand. And I would sell to some uh, CEOs, like smaller companies and then individuals. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of B2B and B2C. Then I retired. And then you retired. And now you're doing yeah. seventh level and you're taking over the world. And I love it. Well, I don't know. We're, <laughs> every day we're trying to get better, you know? I love it. You, you know, you're a humble guy, man. Uh, you got over 100 employees or 100 folks in your, the, uh, in your organization? You know, I just asked my CEO yesterday. Because uh -huh. I knew I was on a couple podcasts this week. People asked me, so we have 163 now. Jesus. The, the first, you know, do you know, be honest. Do you know any? Do you know everybody's name? Probably not. No, no. I, I would. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I got 25. A lot of, a lot of I, people I, are virtual. You know, we have our, our corporate headquarters uh, here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Our uh, USA headquarters are in Scottsdale, but we only have like 30 people in this office. In the so office, but Sydney, Australia International Headquarters, we get about 35 in that office. Okay. Then we got a Gold Coast office, which is like the Miami Beach of Australia. It's called the Gold Coast. We're oh, okay. A big company in Australia. And uh, we got 12 in there. And then the other half of the company, they're all virtual, you know, because we literally started kind of like right before COVID. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. just kind of when we started before COVID, there was like me and my assistant and that was it. And so, you, so it's everything you do. So you do trainings and you do um, obviously like education, stuff like that. And is that all you do? Training and education? Oh, we, we train, we train salespeople and companies. So we train, you know, we've got a few even fortune 100 clients like, you know, Exxon Mobil. We train some of their divisions. Now we train some divisions in Google, uh, Google. They're not AdWords anymore. Google something in the different uh -huh, yeah. United Healthcare is a client, big uh, healthcare company. Mm -hmm, and and mm -hmm. it's all the way down to SMB small companies down to individual salespeople that sell anything. We're in a 161 different industries now. Wow, man. I love it. I love it. Don't, I, I'm going to make this practical because I, I I know that's what people want. People want to get out of this box and be like, damn, I want to just sell like Jeremy, man. I just want to learn make, how to let's yeah. learn how to sell better. Exactly. So I, I, I'll ask you like random questions that like even I had like when I and I can always be, by the way, I, I you know, we have over a thousand clients all across the world. No, you guys are PR. crushing it, man. You, I need to start bragging about you. Over Thank here. you, man. You're bragging about me. What's going on? Thank you, man. But even so, you know, I can always become better. My team can always become better. You can always improve because life is changing. Like I feel like sailing, like even even th there's a lot of psychology to it, of course. But like even after COVID, Life change. I mean, people are different. People think differently now than than, than before COVID. So, let me talk. To, let, let's talk about some of the typical stuff. I don't have any money. I wish I could afford your service, but I I don't got it. I don't. I want to, but I don't got it. Yeah. So typically, most of the time, that is a defensive mechanism that the prospect is saying that it's not like unless you're selling a ten million dollar solution to a homeless person. Typically they either have the money or they can get the money. The The problem that you're experiencing, mm -hmm. if, if you get a lot of objections like that, that they don't have the money, is they have the money. It's not like the money does not exist. It's just where they're currently spending that same money. It's mm -hmm. in their mind where they're currently, let's say if I'm selling life insurance and it's a policy of $250 a month, oh, I don't have the money. Mm -hmm. No, it's a priority of where they're currently spending that same money and because you, the salesperson, don't know yet how to build a gap from where they are to where they want to be, 
where they feel like they want to change. They want to change that money they're already currently spending on something else over to your priority because now it's a bigger priority in their brain. So typically, if a prospect says, oh, I don't have the money for this, and it depends on if it's at the end of the sales process or the beginning, Mm -hmm. typically, it's just a defensive mechanism that they don't feel like they need your thing because you don't know how to build a big enough gap. And so they just say, I don't have the money. But it's not like they couldn't get the money or they're not they're already spending that money. They just have to shift it over to your solution. And when you talk about the gap, are you talking about, for example, this is how much it's going to cost you if you do not take action on what I'm trying to tell you? Well, the gap. I'm going to show you something here. Okay. So the gap, show you something interesting. Okay. So the gap is where the prospect currently is. Okay. So a lot of people, we would call that their current state. Okay. So where is the prospect right now? Now, here's the problem. Most salespeople don't know and prospects don't know. When you first, I mean, give me an example. When you're salespeople, First, because you're, you know, you're like a PR, you're a marketing agency, basically. Sure, sure. Train a lot of them. So when they first start talking to a prospect, your prospects probably know that they have a problem, but they don't necessarily understand how bad the problem really is. Or That's they exactly don't understand right. understand the depth of the problem. Sure. Correct? Yeah. Maybe they, they feel like, oh, we have this problem, but besides that problem, they might have three or four other problems they didn't realize they had, right? Yep. So 99.9% of your prospects, I would say 100%, do not really understand what their real situation is when the salesperson first starts talking to them. Mm -hmm. It is up to the salesperson with the questions we ask and how we use our tone that causes the prospect to want to open up rather than staying surface level, right? To help the prospect, not only the salesperson has to understand what the real situation is. But the prospect, we have to get them to understand what the real situation is. We can't do that by telling them what it is because you're biased. You're the salesperson. Goes Mm -hmm. in one ear, out the other. Our question ability allows the prospect to tell themselves what the real situation Mm -hmm. is. Because how do you build a gap from where they are, current state, to where they want to be? We call that their objective state. Okay. So in your industry that you're in right now, let's say you're talking to a small business and let's say that they're doing, I don't know, $5 million a year and they want to go to 10. I'm just throwing out a number. Sure. Their current state is they're at five because you're not necessarily selling them you know, PR. You're selling them the results of what the PR does, which That's is exactly scale right. the business, right? Most mm-hmm, mm-hmm. salespeople don't understand that in any industry. If they're selling life insurance, I'm selling a policy. If they're selling solar, I'm selling them on you know, green energy or, or mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm selling uh marketing mm-hmm. service, I'm selling them leads. No, you're selling them the results of what the leads do, mm-hmm. which is to mm-hmm. grow the business and make the company more money. That's what you're really selling. So getting them to understand what their real situation is, that current state, and then them getting them to see what their objective state looks like once all these newfound problems are solved. Now, what is the gap? It's right here. The gap is where they're at now compared to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And what are the problems preventing them from going from here to where they want to be? The yeah. and, and you are the solution. That policy is the solution. That PR company is the solution to get you over the other side. Yeah, so we're there building the gap where they can start seeing like, oh, I didn't understand. I thought I had this problem, but I have that problem and I have this other problem and, and this problem and this problem. And now the gap gets so big. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we call that problem finding. You know, problem solving is great. You got to be a problem solver. I love that. Every book back here will say you got to be a problem solver. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the prospect doesn't buy from you. Mm-hmm. How can you solve their problems? That's See, exactly problem right. Solving happens after they buy, not yeah. before. That's so you, right. I always, I, when I read that first in a book when I was 21, I'm like, well, how am I problem solver if they don't buy? You can't solve the problem. They don't buy, right? Like if they don't take your services, Jose, you can't solve their problems. So if you want to, you know, make a lot more sales, you have to be much better at what we call problem finding. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's helping the prospect see, you know, that maybe instead of one problem, now they have two or three or four or five other problems they didn't realize they had, which builds a much bigger gap in their mind and causes them to view you more as the expert, the trusted authority. And when a prospect feels that you understand their unique situation the most better than they understand it themselves then they and they're like i really need you they will automatically buy from you they will chase you they they will pay more because Oof. they trust you can get them a much better result than anybody else even if they're cheaper they will gladly pay more you don't get commoditized when you learn how to really communicate and build a gap. Now there's a lot more to that yeah, skill yeah. level we have to learn, but that's kind of an overview of what I mean by creating the gap. I love that. I love that. I love it. Thank you for the thorough detailed explanation. Let me ask you the next one. This is the second one. If, if there were two that people hate and they're like, how the heck do I get over this challenge? The second one is I got to talk to my significant other. I got to talk to my wife. How do we solve that, Jeremy? Well, a lot of that, I mean, you know, that's industry specific. Obviously, you're not going to get that in B2B. That's more B2C business. That's right. That's right. But a lot of that is preventing that objection from happening in the prospect's brain. So a lot of sales training will say, oh, you got to, you know, here's how to overcome objections, which we train you that too. But first thing we're going to show you how to do is how to prevent most of those objections from even happening in the first place, Mm. because it's not like the prospect. Let's, okay, let's say, let's just go to your industry, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you you got a salesperson on Zoom. Do they sell mainly on Zoom, virtually, or on the phone? Uh, not yeah, Zoom like ninety percent. Well, Zoom, yeah. and I would say the like with me because obviously, like me, Jose, I'm the brand. I can sell in yeah. the DMs in Instagram like very easily, right? But yeah. my guys got to go to Zoom, yeah. Yeah, so they're on Zoom with the the prospect, and let's say I'm assuming you're, you know, you you probably have some big brands you do, but you have some yeah. you know, just some small companies too. Let's say they're a small company and they yeah. they want to scale the business, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's say they get on there and that's because you might have a spouse concern if it's like a, let's say a local laundromat and it's just the the wife and the the guy who's got the the laundromat, you know, different mm-hmm. if it's an enterprise client, right? Sure. And so the, the husband might be like, well, I really need to t- speak with my wife on this. Now, how did that happen? Because they booked on your calendar. So obviously they know they have some type of problem, right? Yeah. So if they have a problem and your solution solves those why would they even say that? Okay. Because mm-hmm. typically most of them, that is not really a concern. It's like the, I want to think it over objection or I want to pray about it. So, th- so they're lying. So they're, th- this prospect is lying to you basically. Most, almost. I'm not saying they are, but most of the time that is just a defensive mechanism to basically say, I'm uncertain that you can get me the result you said you can. I don't trust you can get me that result. So my money is not worth the risk. So mm. I say, I want to think it over. Do they really sit there for the next three weeks thinking it over, writing out all the <laughs> pros and cons? Nobody does, right? No one does. The, the, the objection is what they're not telling you. So I want to think it over is a defensive mechanism. So if they're like, oh, I want to think it over, instead of what would most salespeople do? Like, 
well, I, I don't understand. You said you, in your industry, you said mm. you needed to get more leads to scale. Like, what do you need to think about? Now, what would most prospects do? They get defensive, right? Because when you change your tone, like you're annoyed or, you know, like you, you're mm. nervous now and, and you start pushing them, right? They're just human behavior one one. They push back. It's just like yeah, that's politics, right. right? Your friend believes in this. You believe in this. You post this on Facebook. They start getting pissed at you. You dig in more. We only get louder. Everybody gets get louder and louder. It's like, yeah, how, how many people are changing their mind by that? Like how many yeah. Republicans become Democrats? How many Democrats? Yeah. Repub- you're, you're talking zero. About like, zero. Like zero, oh, right? It's like oh. it's 50-50 every election, right? Sure. I never understood that. And so with that type of an objection, I want, first of all, I have to learn how to get them to let their guard down so they actually tell me what the real concern is. Because mm-hmm. I want to think it over. It's not an objection, right? So if I say, if I start getting defensive, they get defensive, it's over. But if I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's not a problem. Now, what what's your uh, time frame on getting uh, back to me in the next day or two to see if I'd be available for you? Now, why would I do that first rather mm-hmm. than trying to overcome the objection? Because first, I have to get them to let their guard down. Mm-hmm. If I can get them to feel I'm about to get off Zoom, or I'm about to get off the phone, or I'm about to leave their office or their home, they become more relaxed, right? There's no pressure there, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. Oh, yeah, yeah, not a problem. Now, what's your what's your time frame on getting back to me in the next day or two to see if I'd be available? That's another way to raise your status, to see if I'd be available. Experts yeah, are not available all the time, right? Salespeople yeah. are always available, right? That's why they treat mm-hmm. you that way. Yeah. So let's say they're like, oh, well, you know, I can call you back later this week. Well, you can't take that because you know they're not going to call you back. So then you would say, well, yeah, I'm not sure I'd be randomly available like that with my schedule. What what I can do, if you have your calendar handy, um, I can pull up mine and have you book like a specific time. That way you don't have to chase me down and vice versa. (laughs) Exactly. That way you don't have to chase me down and vice versa. Would that help you if I did that for you? They're always like, oh, that would help. Then you book the time. Now, here's where it happens. Here's where the Mm -hmm. magic happens. You book the time. Let's see you on Zoom. They think you're going to get off Zoom, and you you lean in and say, "Now, hey, before before I go, um, what were you, I guess, wanting to go over in your mind, just so I know what questions you'll have?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, "What do you want to think about?" It's just a different pattern. Yeah. You know, before I go, before I go, what what was it that you were wanting to go over in your mind, just so I know what questions you'll have when we talk tomorrow? Well, I just, you know, it's a big decision for us. And I just need to see if we have the money. Ah, now I know it's a money objection. Mm-hmm. Now I'm there. Oh, how do you mean not have the money? And now I'm right there. Devil overcome whatever. Well, I'm not quite sure how your software can integrate with. Oh, well, in that case, and then you're right there. Right. Uh-huh. And you, most uh-huh. of the time you can help them overcome the concern and just close the deal on the spot. So it's just a way. First, we have to get them to let their guard down. So they tell us the real truth. Because most of the time, it's not the truth. It's a smokescreen. Like if somebody yeah. says, well, i got to check my finances. Uh-huh. Everybody knows their finances. <laughs> that's right? right. See what that's I'm right. saying? So that's just kind of an example of getting them to let their guard down, where they tell you what the concern is. Then you can clarify it, right? Because if somebody says, this is too expensive, most salespeople would do what? This is too expensive. Most salespeople they, react. Yeah, they react or they say, let me bring, yeah, 100%. Yeah, they say, well, let me break it down. It's not expensive. Be- well, you don't even know what the hell they meant by that. Yeah. Does that mean they don't have the money today? Does that mean they're talking with two of your comp- competitors and you're 10% mm-hmm. more? Does that mean that they have the money, but let's say I sell equipment and they don't feel like they have a budget 
uh, after that to service your whatever thing. I mean, it could mean 25 different things. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says this is too expensive, oh, how do you mean by too expensive? Well, the CEO, you know, gave us a budget because of the recent merger and we're only allowed to spend, you know, 10 grand a month and your thing's 15 grand a month. Oh, well, now I know that the CEO gave them this budget and now I kind of understand better what's going on. And then I know which way to pivot to help them overcome the real concern rather than thinking that, oh, it's too expensive. I heard this before. I'm going to jump in or through a rebuttal. And then you don't even know what the hell they meant by it too expensive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's too general that you got to really understand you what you're fighting against. First. What's your, you have to clarify what's behind the concern, what's driving the concern. Because once you understand what's behind the concern, you have an advantage to help them overcome it. No, that's exactly right. Folks, you're listening to the VIP show. We're speaking with Jeremy Miner. Telling you, I told you this was going to be good. You got to put this stuff in repeat, man, because he's telling you the fire. He's telling you the secrets. You got to apply it, not just sit up, you know, just just listen to it. Actually go out there and put it into practice. Before I jump into, I, well, there's two questions I want to ask, especially on the political side, because I'm, I'm curious to know um, yeah. your thoughts on this. But before I jump into that, if, the, if, there, if there was one thing, and I know there's not one thing, but what's one of the favorite things maybe that you would share with small Business entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who are making maybe 10K a month, Jeremy, but they want to, they, you hear, you hear all these gurus on social media. I'm making a hundred K a month, blah, blah, blah. How can people really change some of their strategies? So instead of making 10, they can start making 20, 30K a month. That, that, that'd be life changing for some of these people. Yeah. Now, for, first of all, sometimes what people say online is actually not the truth. I found that out the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm oh, with you. you're doing this this amount of dollars and you find out they're doing a third of it. That's a whole nother story, as you as you know. Yeah. Uh, but really, you know, I, I always say this because everybody's talking about you got to fail, you got to fail to succeed. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. But it's like, why not learn like skills where you're less likely to fail? I, I don't know, like call me crazy. Like I don't want to fail. So one of the biggest things that I would always recommend, like, look, if you're going to start your own business, you need to be a freaking expert in what you're doing. Like you need to be an expert in what you're going to start the business, not an amateur. I see so many amateurs. It like drives us crazy as a company Mm -hmm. where, you know, they might be, let's even talk about sales training. They sell for two years and they're like, oh, I'm going to start a sales training company. I'm like, dude or lady, you don't have enough experience to understand the nuances and wisdom to be able to train anything outside of what you sold, let alone train people what you sold because you don't have enough experience, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a business owner, you know, I see other people like start your own business, be an entrepreneur. That's great. But do you have the knowledge? Do you have the skill level, the expertise, the 10,000 plus hours of expertise mm-hmm. to actually be a real expert? There's so much shit out there that's sold where they're just an amateur and you go in there, as you know, especially in your industry. Oh man. There's like a dime a dozen. That's right. You know, they might've had a business. They marketed it well for a year. Now they're a marketing agency or PR (laughs) agency and they have no idea what they're doing. They're just taking people's money. Nobody's getting a result. And that's why they never last long-term. So Mm. I love starting a business, but I would prefer you get the skill level. Like, look, if you're going to start a PR agency, go work for one for 10 years. Get the experience, get Mm -hmm. the knowledge, Mm -hmm. and then you can have the credibility. Don't go work for one for six months or a year and think you know everything because you don't. You don't. Like I I was a salesperson for 18 years. I literally was ranked one of the top 50 salespeople in any industry in the world by the Direct Selling Association. You're talking about hundreds of millions of salespeople. I was making multiple seven figures a year of commission. And even after 18 years 
I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to train every industry. Like, mm-hmm. There was some unknown there. I couldn't sure. imagine starting a sales training company after two years. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Man. Yeah, it's a lot of damage, obviously, to our industry, to the reputation of the industry, which whether it's sales, whether it's PR, but yeah. more than that, it's damaging to the American people, it's to whoever your customer your, is. Your, your clients, man. That's why they're no. so skeptical because you promised a result that you know you can't get them. So yeah. get the skills where you know you can get results. That's going to give you way more confidence. Your brand is going to be around for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Not just a few years. You want a brand that, you know, even when you're gone, you know, 30, 40, 50 years or whatever the good Lord takes you back home, your brand keeps going. Those yeah. that those are the the smart. I, I always tell folks, your brand is the one thing people cannot take away. People can take away, the government can take away your car, your money, everything, your home, but they can never take away how, who you are and how you make people feel when you walk into, into a room, the influence you give people. So uh, it's, it's incredibly totally. important. Politics, you know, we, I, I don't, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I'm not here to, to debate you, but, yeah. but I'm here to learn from you and my community is here to learn from you. Some of these politicians, you want to talk about selling, being a politician, folks, that is selling because you're trying, you're trying to get votes and, and money too, but you're trying to get votes, uh, yeah. uh, you know, across, across the way. But some of these guys don't have it. They don't. They don't I, got I think, it. They. Yeah, I mean, if I had to look at any industry, yeah, where you had the worst salespeople of all time, I would say politicians are probably right up there at the very top. <laughs> I agree with you. Everything is sold, even if you're not, you know, selling to make a commission. You're yeah. like you said. You're out there trying to persuade. You're trying to influence. You're trying to convince. You're trying to move others. Like if you're an attorney trying to convince the courtroom your client's innocent, you're trying to persuade. You're uh, trying to influence, right? If you're a you know a freaking uh, employer trying to con- uh, you know convince your your team to follow your vision of where you want to go, I, I gotta I gotta persuade my my four year old to finish her yeah. breakfast before I take her to school every day. But especially <laughs> if you're a politician, you're trying to yeah. convince people to vote for you. And what I see so much, and like I, like I said, I told you at the beginning, like I am right down the middle. I'm a registered independent here in Arizona. Okay, mm-hmm. I voted for both parties. You know, sometimes I'll vote for more of a party than others. I just I, I view the candidate as like who they are, not the party, if that makes yeah, sense. Right? Yeah, like, can, can sense. they get the result? You know, I don't care about the party. So that's just me. But what I see so, so many politicians do is like they don't move any part of the other side over to their way of thinking. And the reason why they don't is because they bash the other side. They talk about how the, the other side's evil and, you know, they're Satan and they're, and it's both sides. Like, I hate to tell you, like, if mm-hmm. you're right, yeah. left, it's literally both sides are at fault for this. I always, mm-hmm. you know, somebody will be like, no, it's just the right side. And I said, no, it's just the left. I'm like, no, 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 no. As an observer out here, <laughs> it's both of you guys. I it's love both you guys. of you. <laughs> it's definitely both, you know, but the problem yeah. is these politicians, you know, they'll be like, let, let me give an example. You know, like when President Trump, he when he would say, he was like, you know, these crazy liberals and blah, 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 blah. Well, how are you going to convince any liberals now to pay attention? You might have the best trade policy now, but nobody's going to give a rat's F because you called them a crazy name. So they don't even care what you did. And the same thing on the President Biden's side now, like, oh, those MAGA Republicans, they're evil, they're horrible. Well, how are you going to get a MAGA Republican to come over to your way of thinking by calling them bad. It's just, it, I don't make any sense to me. Like, I'm like, yeah. why do you guys do this? You're trying to, <laughs> you know, don't just rely on your base of voters. Yeah, that's right. The elections that's right. are always like 50, you know, 51, mm-hmm. 49, 50. It's, you know, this state's won by 3,000 votes. I'm like, there should be politicians, you know, more like 
Reagan or more like, you know, Bill Clinton, those who were mm-hmm. better at bringing people retail politics, you know, getting down to business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they were winning landslides. I mean, look at Reagan. He won like almost every state, you know, but then you'd see these other politicians they are so close, you know, and there's some, some, some candidates are way better at communication than others. I like one of them that you work for like president Obama, probably one Mm -hmm. of the best communicators. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know why he was such a great communicator. I I actually trained on this the other day. Uh Why, why, why? I'm I'm curious to know. One of the the greatest things that president Obama did is he was very good at what we call, it's going to be sound kind of crazy. Okay. Verbal pacing, verbal pacing, Uh verbal pausing and verbal cues. Yes. Now, here's what I mean by that. When he was speaking, he would talk, his 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 uh, tone would change for different reasons. Because yeah. one of the first, one of the first things, and I, I know somebody had to train him how to do this. You're nobody's born with those skills. Like you, yeah. these are acquired skills. But one of the first things, like people always ask me, where did you learn all the tonality and body language? Didn't learn it from any sales training because nobody really teaches that. Mm-hmm. I actually hired not Karen down the street for $20 an hour, but I hired Hollywood acting instructors and would mm. fly to Hollywood this after a couple of years of sales. And I would sit on a weekend for two or three days straight and pay them thousands of dollars a day to learn how to even change my facial expressions, which mm-hmm. is different emotions in an audience, right? So yeah. let's say if I want to, like, let's say if I'm a prospect in your industry, and we'll get back to politics in a second. Yeah. Let's say a prospect in your industry says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just having this problem. We're just not getting just a lot of pressure because I don't have a lot of leads. Oh, hold on. Pressure? Now, what did my facial expression communicate? I'm confused. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Facial expression. Your facial expression is the remote control to your tone, right? Mm-hmm. So who's, who's your favorite actor, actress? I'll just tell you what they do. Actor, oh, man. I mean, I, I would say, I mean... Oh, Leo is great, obviously. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh yeah, is he's top, one of the best. Top of the line. Tonality. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so Leo, look at any of his movies, right? You love him. You 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 love him as the actor. But let's say in Titanic or mm-hmm. you know any of the shows he's in, you don't even view him as Leo when you're watching the show. Not at all. You view him as the character he's portraying. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because they are experts and they're taught advanced body language. They're taught advanced facial expressions, advanced mm-hmm. tonality that triggers different emotional drivers in their audience's brains. Yeah. That's why you don't turn the show off. That's why you sit in the theater because you are so engaged in triggered curiosity just by how you change your face. Like if I want a challenging tone, well, what happens if you don't do anything about your lead generation and you end up getting fired? See, that's a challenging tone. Mm-hmm. My facial expression shows I'm challenging, so it shifts my tone. Now, Jose, try to have a challenging tone right now and don't move your face. Oh, it's 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 impossible. You can't. You can't. If, you can't. Like if I if I want a curious tone, see, I always say your your tone is how the prospect interprets the intention behind everything you say. Your mm-hmm. tone is how mm-hmm. they interpret your intention. So Two of the best people ever to do this, President Obama and Tony Robbins. Mm -hmm. If you watch both of them, Mm -hmm. they're very good at talking. And then they'll just kind of pace out what they're saying. They slow down rather than talking too fast. Okay. Most presidents talk too fast. And so because they talk too fast, it goes in one ear out the other. But what he did, he would talk and he would like verbal pause. He'd be like, and we're going to have, you know, I don't know all the speeches. We're going to have, you know, hope. And we're going to have change. Yep. And you, 
you can be involved in that. See those just little verbal pauses. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Trigger his audience to be like, oh my gosh, you know, like they're just crying, right? Whereas other presidents, they're just up there blabbing about nothing and they get lost. And that's, you know, that that now they're just voting because they don't like the other guy. They're not really voting for the person, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So President Obama was very good at verbal pacing. If people want and I'll say this too, because um, I wasn't in, in the 08 campaign, more in the 2012 campaign, but uh, well, I was, a, I was a field organizer in, in a way, but um, if you want to appreciate some of uh, President Obama's verbal pacing and even tonality about like the movement, you know, the way he walks and how, because when you pause, especially look look at his town hall, town hall debates with Mitt Romney. Look at his town hall debate with Mitt Romney. It will blow your mind because everything that Jeremy Miner is saying, folks, it is true. It is true. I well, can even, speak. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Even how they use their hands. Yeah. You know, so like, what, do you want to see? Okay, so the one thing I, I, I'm like, why why does nobody tell politicians to do this? When they, get, when they get up on stage and they sit behind the podium, mm-hmm. you literally are losing trust in that person. You know why? Because we, we can't even help it. Our instincts are you're so primitive. You know, we're talking about millions of years when God put the first humans here, whenever that was. That, that's mm-hmm. debatable, right? But our instincts, when somebody is behind a podium and we can't really see what's behind them, they're like covered from here down. Yeah. We actually start to lose trust instinctually because long time ago, they might be hiding a weapon. Now, we don't mm-hmm. think that the president, Trump, or president, <laughs> president Biden or President Obama has a weapon, yeah. but instinctually, our brains can't tell the difference. That's why I would say if you're on Zoom and you've got a background where you like, you know, make one of those green screens. Sure. Don't ever do that because people yeah. are always going to feel like you're hiding something. Or if mm-hmm. you have Zoom and they can only see up here where they can't see your hands. Mm-hmm. So if politicians are out on town halls like he is mm-hmm. and they're out here and they have their hands there, this is called like the trust plane. Mm-hmm. You, you learn advanced bodies like the trust plane. Your hands are out here. You don't want to be out here. This signifies something different. But if we're wanting somebody to trust us, we want to have it like from like right here up, right here. We, we teach a lot of this stuff, uh, Jeremy, and I got to have you to come to my training, but we teach a lot of this stuff in our TV coaching. So when we teach folks to go into in television, especially now via Zoom, because everybody's doing TV via Zoom, it's the framing too, right? You can't be talking up here. You can't be talking up here. Can't you got to here. That's yeah, right. Got, that's they got to right. be able to see you so they trust you. Hey, he doesn't have oh. a weapon. Now, they're not saying he doesn't have a weapon. But instinctually, the brain can't tell. That's just how our brain is, our reptilian yeah. part of our brain. They go back to the wild, wild west, you know, when they had the drawing, you know, the guns exactly, and all that. Exactly, but all like the stuff. hands are here. We're slowing down our tone. And when we mm-hmm. say something, we can we can act like we were thinking about it as we're saying it. And what that Would you does, say, draws people in where they engage. Mm-hmm. They're curious. They're like hanging on to every word. Tonality. And facial expressions. Obviously, when you're cold calling, I would say tonality goes up the roof because you can't do facial expressions. I can't see you. But tonality is key in cold calling, would you say? Yes. However, your facial expression shifts your tonality. So like That's you right. said, I was like, hey, try to have a challenging tone and don't move your face. You can't That's right. do that. So, even so you, still gotta, you still got to do it. People are just not going to see it. Yeah. If I'm on the phone and let's say I want to have a concern tone, right? Like what's really holding you back from moving forward? put my hand on my chest. See, that signifies to the prospect that I'm concerned for their situation. That builds far more trust. That builds more credibility in their mind that I care about them not solving the problem and getting what they said they wanted. Let's say if I'm talking to teenagers 
and I'm really upset and I start yelling like, hey, I'm so disappointed in you. They're going to get defensive with that type of body language. But if I'm like, I'm so disappointed in you, that causes them to slow down. Much more effective. To diffuse, right? Like where they listen because they feel like you're genuinely disappointed because you love them, not you're angry at them. Completely different. You can shift all this by your body language and tone. It's crazy. You read every book says 93% of the communication is by your nonverbal, but then nobody shows you how. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what we do. I love it, man. Let me ask you. Let me ask you this uh, before I let you go, man. And thank you, man. I, I gotta have like a whole, like a whole thing with you, man. I there, there's the VIP mastermind. We do a we we do an event in Miami every year. Uh, yeah. It's the Money Marketing Mindset uh, Conference in Miami, yeah. March fifteenth. We got a chat. Maybe we can get you. Maybe you come down and, and talk to some folks if you're willing you to go. make the trip to, to to Miami. Jeremy, what 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 the seventh level got planned? What do you guys got planned for 2024? Talk to me maybe a little bit, even on you on a personal level. What, what what's yeah. what's Jeremy doing in 2024? Well, so in 2024, we're purposely slowing down our growth. So okay. a lot a lot of companies, you know, there a lot of people think like, oh my gosh, you're growing so fast, it's so amazing. And it is, it's a good problem to have. But when you're growing so fast, like, you know, last year we only grew like 400 some percent, but the year before is like 1900%. The year before is like 2000%. Mm-hmm. When you're growing so fast, a lot of times you're throwing bodies into positions that maybe they don't have the experience to be in. Does that make sense? Like, oh, you know, that guy's kind of an average salesperson. He might be good over in the operations team. Let's make him the VP of operations. Like you can't do that, Right. So mm-hmm. what we're doing is we're purposely slowing down our growth this year to where we're going to grow about 40 to 50% so we can plug in some of those holes, right? Mm, and then it. in 2025, we will scale again. So, you know, it's, it's all about having the right team. Would I know how to do that? No. Does my CEO know how to do that? Yes, he's very, very talented, right? Does my CEO know how to do that? Yes, very, very talented. So we brought in some like amazing, uh, amazing people to run the business. And that's why we've you can have the best product or service in the world, but if you don't have people that have strengths that you don't have, it's you're going to struggle. You know, and that that's what that's what I learned the first year running it by myself. I'm like, I'm not really a CEO. I don't know how to do all this business stuff, but I know how to train salespeople how to sell more. I know how to recruit. I know how to sell. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stick to my lane, and I'm going to bring in a business partner. That's the CEO. I'm going to bring in you know our, our CRO has equity in the firm as well. And then we have all these positions. You know, we have the CFO, billboard.com now, paying him all this money. But man, he's really, really talented. I'm like, wow, you get the best out there. You pay him the most. You actually do a lot better than just paying an average person an average wage, you know? I don't know. No, I love it. No, and it's, look, it's you as the founder. Uh, there's a lot of ego uh, when it comes to being an entrepreneur and, and, and that sort of you're smart enough to know that like, Hey, like I, yeah, I'm the founder and I started this damn thing, but I got to play to my strength and maybe the other places ego, that I don't enjoy the most. As you know, Jose ego is the biggest killer yeah. of companies ego. I'm telling you ego kills so many people's dreams. All I yeah. care about is the end result. All I care about is our, our clients results because we, you know, we're not planning on just being here for five, seven years. Like we're here 15 years from now, 25 years now. Hell, I might not be here in 50 years. The company will still be here. It's branded around the methodology even more than me, right? So I get hit by a bus tomorrow. This company still rolls. It still, it, it, it rolls on without me, right? And that's what everybody really should focus on is your brand and making sure it's not just about the money. We could quite literally triple our ad spend right now and probably at least double our revenue. 
but then our clients wouldn't get the same results because we'd have to play catch up with fulfillment. And then, then you get complaints. Well, why would we want to do that just to make money? Well, am I going to go buy a green Lambo? Like who the hell cares? Like (laughs) I want a company that's here 50 years from now. So I know I have to get our clients this type of result. So I will slow down bringing on clients to get more results for the clients we have any day of the, any day of the week. Before I let you go, how important is marketing uh, when it comes to your business? I mean, I think for every business, it's obviously really important. I mean, even as you know, you know, Cardone says it's yeah. the best, right? Like, hey, you can have the greatest product or service in the world, but you don't want to market, ain't going anywhere, no. right? It's not so, the best product that wins, it's the best known product that wins. Exactly, 100%. I mean, we get, we get almost 5,000 sales calls a month from our- How many, how many? About 5,000 sales calls a month right now. Wow. That you guys do for your own, like for your own product? That or, we or? get. That we get. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's Com- amazing, com- companies and individuals. That's only, I mean, we could probably get a lot more than that right now, but we just, we don't have enough staff and we'd have to like double or triple staff. But a lot of that comes from reels. Like ExxonMobil client, they followed me on Instagram for six months. Then they started reaching out. And then you get on, then you got on a call and then you, and then you close. I didn't, I I didn't like our, uh, our, I think our CRO handled that one. That's a, that's a larger account, but we have like, uh, we have a vice president of our our enterprise sales and we have a division underneath him with, with several people. Do you still get on calls yourself, Jeremy, and and you close deals? I don't, I don't have any time. I wish I could. Yeah. I, I just like, I'm on podcasts all the time. I'm doing content all the time. We do 200 some reels a month. Now we we acquired a content creation company to build up our YouTube because we've never done anything there. So I'm doing two to three long form videos every week. You know, I'm freaking every Thursday and Friday, I sit in here and just do ads, new VSLs, like you know, our, our whole copywriting and marketing team, send me all this stuff. We have to record it all. So, and then I've got, you know, two or three keynotes a month. I try to limit those. I could do more, but I, I just don't want to be gone every other day. You know what I mean? Is there, is there a closing? Like, is there, what's a respect? You've been around for such a long time, man. Um, I know I'm that old. <laughs> he's like 75. Uh, you look great, man. Um, what, what's a respected, I, I maybe varies by industry, I'm sure, but what's a respected closing rate? I mean, it all depends on the industry, right? So mm-hmm. let's say if you're handling inbound leads. Now, when I say inbound leads, I mean people that have booked on your calendar. That could be if you sold HVAC and you go into a home. It mm-hmm. could be, you know, let's say if you sold uh, SaaS, right? And mm-hmm. you have a, you know, an SDR that books a call into you and you're the closer on Zoom. Uh, insurance is going to be completely different closing percentages because you might be calling age leads from eight months ago, right? But let's mm-hmm. say inbound, you know, I would say in most industries, an inbound lead who books on your calendar, like a high closing percentage would be 60 plus percent, 60, yeah. 75%. You should, you can get there for sure. We've had clients in, some of those industries I just listed that literally close over 80%. And I don't mean on offers made. That's I, I've heard one company like, well, well, it's 80% on offers made. Like, what do you mean by offers made? We're like, well, you know, we only the ones that we present to. So I'm like, wait a minute, the ones that you guys trigger sales resistance and the calls over in 10 minutes where they booked, you don't count that in the percentage? You're like, no, I'm like, no, <laughs> that's that should be counted. That should be counted. <laughs> of course. That's real sales. That's not offers made. Like yeah. they get on Zoom or you go in the house or in the office, that is a booked appointment. That's in the percentages. If you're down in 10, 20% range on inbound calls, like you're doing something massively wrong. Now outbound's a little bit different. And do you count the percentages of people who answer or you know people who don't answer? Like a lot of that is calculated differently by the industry and the company. So it's hard to, it's hard to get percentages on how they quantify that data 
Sure, sure. That's exactly right. Brother, thank you so much for coming to the show, man. We appreciate you. People want to work with you. They want to learn from you. Where can people find you? You know, uh, the best place to kind of learn about what we do is, uh, let's, I think my EA sent you one of our, um, uh, our uh, Facebook groups. Let's have mm-hmm. you go to sales, salesrevolution.pro. Salesrevolution.pro would be probably pretty good for your audience. We have about 100,000 uh, people in that Facebook group, and we, we go live in there two or three times a week with different subject matter trainings, Q&As. We don't even charge them for it and kind of check us out what we do, our methodology uh, then. And then if they want to get the new book, that's in Barnes mm-hmm. & Noble. So they can just go to barnesandnoble.com or their local Barnes & Noble store. It's in pretty much every major uh, bookstore in the U.S. and getting published in other countries now, which is kind of cool. Even Taiwan. Ooh. We got wow, a publisher that's... in Taiwan. They're like, we have to have the book in in <laughs> Mandarin or something. I'm like, let's that's, do it, baby. Let's do that's it. That's amazing, brother. Um, Good for you. But, the new model of selling, everybody. Yeah. Selling to an unsellable generation. I wrote it with uh, co-author Jerry Acuff. He owns a large uh, sales consulting firm on the East Coast. He mainly specializes in pharmaceuticals, so like Johnson & Johnson's clients, mm-hmm. AstraZeneca, like all the big boys over there. And then we put this together to have a lot of tactical training in it. I was always pissed. When I was in sales, I'd read books and it was like, you got to set goals. You got to be motivated. You got to work hard. I'm like, yeah, okay. I know all that, but what do I say? What do, <laughs> what I, do I say? <laughs> what do I ask? How do I overcome this objection? So uh, we actually put training here where they can actually learn it and go out and sell. Now, is it going to triple your income? No, it's a book. You're going to retain 3% of this, but it's a good way to start the process. And if they, if they want to reach out for like an advanced sales training, like for our clients in their industry, because most of our stuff is very industry specific now as well. Uh, they can just get a hold of us through that Facebook group and talk to one of our account managers. Boom. There you have it, folks. Jeremy, man, everybody. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Man, I loved it. I was really looking forward to this because I'm always, even though I'm not into politics, I love watching how they communicate because there's always on TV. And I'm like, man, if they, if, if she would just like change her tone here, I'm like, I'm a weirdo. Like if, if he would just verbal pace better he would actually get more engagement i'm always like yeah. thinking weird stuff yeah, yeah yeah i love it i gotta well i gotta get you we'll, we'll see man 2024 is gonna be very without picking sides but maybe I'll, I'll get you to come out to some of the political stuff that we do not to even if you want to come towards that, that'd be great but even just you know tell the politicians what to do man thank I, you jeremy I like i said I'm, I'm right down the middle i voted for different people for different reasons i don't i'm just i always think the truth's in the middle that's just me like maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe we're all wrong I just hope you voted for Obama. I just hope you voted for Obama. <laughs> I, I, okay, so I got to tell you the truth. I did vote him. I did vote for him in two thousand eight. Okay, but I voted for I voted for the other guy in two thousand twelve because the taxes. I was making oh, so tax. much money. The taxes, man. <laughs> I'm like, dude, Obama. Like, dude, I want to go to the game with you. Like, I want to hang out. Like, you're my bro. But man, my taxes, man. Like, ah. <laughs> so I voted for the other guy. Then you know, I I always switch. I go, you know, one time Democrat, one time Republican, or I'll vote for the Republican president, but then the senator in my state I vote Democrat in the Congress. Yeah. I I don't have any sides. I just like it's typically. I usually vote on how they communicate. I'm weird. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, I guess I'm weird too, man. Because yeah, I'm a communicator and I love it. I voted for him half the time. So there you go. <laughs> I love it, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks a lot. I loved it.